Chapter Two of Izzy Popenjoy. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Read by Barry O'Neill. Izzy Popenjoy by Antony Trollope. Chapter Two. Introductory Number Two. What ought I to do, Papa? The proposition was in the first instance made to Mary through the dean. Lloyd George had gone to the father, and the father, with many protestations of personal goodwill, had declared that in such a matter he would not attempt to bias his daughter. That the connection would be personally agreeable to myself, I need hardly say, said the dean. For myself I have no objection to raise, but I must leave it to Mary. I can only say that you have my permission to address her. But the first appeal to Mary was made by her father himself, and was so made in conformity with his own advice. Lord George, when he left the deanery, had thus arranged it, but had been hardly conscious that the dean had advised such an arrangement. And it may be confessed between ourselves, between me and my readers, who in these introductory chapters may be supposed to be looking back together over past things, that the dean was from the first determined that lord george should be his son-in-law what son-in-law could he find that would redound more to his personal credit or better advance his personal comfort as to his daughter where could a safer husband be found and then she might in this way become a marchioness his own father had kept livery stables at bath her other grandfather had been a candle-maker in the borough what ought i to do papa mary asked when the proposition was first made to her she of course admired the germains and appreciated at perhaps more than its full value the notice she had received from them she had thought lord george to be the handsomest man she had ever seen she had heard of his love for mr baron and had felt for him she was not as yet old enough to know how dull was the house at manor cross or how little of resource she might find in the companionship of such a man as lord george of her own money she knew almost nothing not as yet had her fortune become as a carcass to the birds and now should she decide in lord george's favour would she be saved at any rate from that danger you must consult your own feelings my dear said her father she looked up to him in blank dismay she had as yet no feelings but papa of course my darling there is a great deal to be said in favour of such a marriage the man himself is excellent in all respects excellent i do not know that there is a young man of higher principles than lord george in the whole county he is hardly a young man papa not a young man he is thirty i hope you do not call that old i doubt whether men in his position of life should ever marry at an earlier age he is not rich would that matter no i think not but of that you must judge of course with your fortune you would have a right to expect a richer match but though he has not money he has much that money gives he lives in a large house with noble surroundings the question is whether you can like him i don't know papa every word she spoke she uttered hesitatingly when she had asked whether that would matter she had hardly known what she was saying the thing was so important to her and yet so entirely mysterious 
and as yet unconsidered that she could not collect her thoughts sufficiently for proper answers to her father's sensible but not too delicate inquiries the only ideas that had really struck her were that he was grand and handsome but very old if you can love him i think you would be happy said the dean of course you must look at it all around he will probably live to be the marquis of brotherton from all that i hear i do not think that his brother is likely to marry in that case you would be the marchioness of brotherton and the property though not great would then be handsome in the meanwhile you would be lady george germain and you would live at manor cross i should stipulate on your behalf that you should have a house of your own in town for at any rate a portion of the year manor cross is a fine place but you would find it dull if you were to remain there always a married woman too should always have some home of her own you want me to do it papa certainly not i want you to please yourself if i find that you please yourself by accepting this man i myself shall be better pleased than if you please yourself by rejecting him but you shall never know that by my manner i shall not put you in bread and water and lock you up in a garret either if you accept him or if you reject him the dean smiled as he said this as all the world at brotherton knew that he had never in his life even scolded his daughter and you papa i shall come and see you and you will come and see me i shall get on well enough i have always known that you would leave me soon i am prepared for that there was something in this which grated on her feelings she had perhaps taught herself to believe that she was indispensable to her father's happiness then after a pause he continued of course you must be ready to see lord george when he comes again and you ought to remember my dear that marquises do not grow on every hedge with great care and cunning workmanship one may almost make a silk purse out of a sow's ear but not quite the care which dean lovelace had bestowed upon the operation in regard to himself had been very great and the cunning workmanship was to be seen in every plant and every stitch but still there was something left of the coarseness of the original material of all this poor mary knew nothing at all but yet she did not like being told of marquises and hedges where her heart was concerned she had wanted had unconsciously wanted some touch of romance from her father to satisfy the condition in which she found herself but there was no touch of romance there and when she was left to herself to work the matter out in her own heart and in her own mind she was unsatisfied two or three days after this mary received notice that her lover was coming the dean had seen him and had absolutely fixed a time to poor mary this seemed to be most unromantic most unpromising and though she had thought of nothing else since she had first heard of lord george's intention though she had laid awake struggling to make up her mind she had reached no conclusion it had become quite clear to her that her father was anxious for the marriage and there was much in it which recommended it to herself the old elms of the park of manor cross were very tempting she was not indifferent to being called my lady though she had been slightly hurt when told that marquises did not grow on trees still she knew that it would be much to be a marchioness and the man himself was good and not only good but very handsome there was a nobility about him beyond that of his family those prone to ridicule might perhaps have called him worter faced but to mary there was a sublimity in this 
but then was she in love with him she was a sweet innocent lady-like high-spirited joyous creature those struggles of her father to get rid of that last porcine taint though not quite successful as to himself had succeeded thoroughly in regard to her it comes at last with due care and the due care had here been taken she was so nice that middle-aged men wished themselves younger that they might make love to her or older that they might be privileged to kiss her though keenly anxious for amusement though over head and ears in love with sport and frolic no unholy thought had ever polluted her mind that men were men and that she was a woman had of course been considered by her oh that it might some day be her privilege to love some man with all her heart and all her strength some man who should be at any rate to her the very hero of heroes the cynosure of her world it was thus that she considered the matter there could surely be nothing so glorious as being well in love and the one to be thus worshipped must of course become her husband otherwise would her heart be broken and perhaps his and all would be tragedy but with tragedy she had no sympathy the loved one must become her husband but the pictures she had made to herself of him were not at all like lord george germain he was to be fair with laughing eyes quick in repartee always riding well to the hounds she had longed to hunt herself but her father had objected he must be sharp enough sometimes to others though ever soft to her with a silken moustache and a dimpled chin and perhaps twenty-four years old lord george was dark his eyes never laughed he was silent generally and never went out hunting at all he was dignified and tall very handsome no doubt and a lord the grand question was that could she love him could she make another picture and paint him as her hero there were doubtless heroic points in the side-wave of that coal-black lock coal-black where the few grey hairs had not yet shown themselves in his great height and solemn polished manners when her lover came she could only remember that if she accepted him she would please everybody the dean had taken occasion to assure her that the ladies at manor cross would receive her with open arms but on this occasion she did not accept him she was very silent hardly able to speak a word and almost sinking out of sight when lord george endeavoured to press his suit by taking her hand but she contrived at last to make him the very answer that adelaide de baron had made she must take time to think of it but the answer came from her in a different spirit she at any rate knew as soon as it was given that it was her destiny in life to become lady george germain she did not say yes at the moment only because it is so hard for a girl to tell a man that she will marry him at the first asking he made his second offer by letter to which the dean wrote the reply my dear lord george my daughter is gratified by your affection and flattered by your manner of showing it a few plain words are perhaps the best she will be happy to receive you as her future husband whenever it may suit you to come to the deanery yours affectionately henry lovelace immediately upon this the conduct of lord george was unexceptionable he hurried over to brotherton and as he clasped the girl in his arms he told her that he was the happiest man in england poor as he was he made her a handsome present and besought her if she had any mercy any charity any love for him 
to name an early day. Then came the four ladies from Manor Cross, for Lady Alice had already become Lady Alice Holdenough, and caressed her and patted her and petted her, and told her that she should be as welcome as flowers in May. Her father, too, congratulated her with more of enthusiasm and more also of demonstrated feeling than she had ever before seen him evince. He had been very unwilling, he said, to express any strong opinion of his own. It had always been his desire that his girl should please herself, but now that the thing was settled he could assure her of his thorough satisfaction. It was all that he could have desired, and now he would be ready at any time to lay himself down and be at rest. Had his girl married a spendthrift lord, even a duke devoted to pleasure and iniquity, it would have broken his heart. But he would now confess that the aristocracy of the county had charms for him, and he was not ashamed to rejoice that his child should be accepted within their pale. Then he brushed a real tear from his eyes, and Mary threw herself into his arms. The tear was real, and in all that he said there was not an insincere word. It was to him the very glory of glories that his child should be in the way of becoming the Marchioness of Brotherton. It was even a greater glory that she should be Lady George Germain. The dean never forgot the livery stable, and owned day and night that God had been very good to him. It was soon settled that Mary was to be allowed three months for preparation, and that the marriage was to be solemnized in June. Of course she had much to do in preparing her wedding garments, but she had before her a much more difficult task than that at which she worked most sedulously. It was now the great business of her life to fall in love with Lord George. She must get rid of that fair young man with the silky moustache and the darling dimple. The sallow, the sublime, and the werter-faced must be made to take the place of laughing eyes and pink cheeks. She did work very hard, and sometimes, as she thought, successfully, she came to a positive conclusion that he was the handsomest man she ever saw, and that she certainly liked the few grey hairs. That his manner was thoroughly noble no one could doubt. If he were seen merely walking down the street he would surely be taken for a great man. He was one of whom, as her husband, she could always be proud, and that she felt to be a great thing that he would not play lawn-tennis and that he did not care for riding were points in his character to be regretted indeed though she made some tenderly cautious inquiries she could not find what were his amusements she herself was passionately fond of dancing but he certainly did not dance he talked to her when he did talk chiefly of his family of his own poverty of the goodness of his mother and sisters and of the great regret which they all felt that they should have been deserted by the head of their family. "'He has now been away,' said Lord George, "'for ten years, but not improbably he may return soon, and then we shall have to leave Manor Cross.' "'Leave Manor Cross?' "'Of course we must do so should he come home. The place belongs to him, and we are only there because it has not suited him to reside in England.' This he said with the utmost solemnity, and the statement had been produced by the answer which the Marquis had made to the letter announcing to him his brother's marriage. The Marquis had never been a good correspondent. To the ladies of the house he never wrote at all, though Lady Sarah favoured him with a periodical quarterly letter. To his agent, and less frequently to his brother, 
he would write curt questions on business, never covering more than one side of a sheet of note-paper, and always signed, Yours B. To these the inmates of Manor Cross had now become accustomed, and little was thought of them. But on this occasion he had written three or four complete sentences, which had been intended to have, and which did have, a plain meaning. He congratulated his brother, but begged Lord George to bear in mind that he himself might not improbably want Manor Cross for his own purpose before long. If Lord George thought it would be agreeable, Mr. Knox, the agent, might have instructions to buy Miss Lovelace a present. Of this latter offer Lord George took no notice, but the intimation concerning the house sat gravely on his mind. The dean did exactly as he had said with reference to the house in town. Of course it was necessary that there should be arrangements as to money between him and Lord George, in which he was very frank. Mary's money was all her own, giving her an income of nearly fifteen hundred pounds per annum. The dean was quite of opinion that this should be left to Lord George's management, but he thought it right as Mary's father to stipulate that his daughter should have a home of her own. Then he suggested a small house in town, and expressed an opinion that his daughter should be allowed to live there six months in the year. The expense of such a sojourn might be in some degree shared by himself if Lord George would receive him for a month or so in the spring. And so the thing was settled, Lord George pledging himself that the house should be taken. The arrangement was distasteful to him in many ways, but it did not seem to be unreasonable, and he could not oppose it. Then came the letter from the Marquis. Lord George did not consider himself bound to speak of that letter to the dean, but he communicated the threat to Mary. Mary thought nothing about it, except that her future brother-in-law must be a very strange man. During all those three months she strove very hard to be in love, and sometimes she thought that she had succeeded. In her little way she studied the man's character, and did all she could to ingratiate herself with him. Walking seemed to be his chief relaxation, and she was always ready to walk with him. She tried to make herself believe that he was profoundly wise. And then, when she failed in other things, she fell back upon his beauty. Certainly she had never seen a handsomer face, either on a man's shoulders or in a picture. And so they were married. Now I have finished my introduction, having married my heroine to my hero, and have, I hope, instructed my reader as to those hundred and twenty incidents of which I spoke, not too tediously. If he will go back and examine, he will find that they are all there. But perhaps it will be better for us both that he should be in quiet possession of them without any such examination. End of chapter 2